welcome to MedTalks, conversations by medical students for medical students. I'm Deborah, and this is my partner, Joey. What's up, guys? And for this new season of MedTalks, we're focusing our attention on the wide spectrum of healthcare professionals. So we're going to be interviewing a wide variety of allied healthcare professionals, everything from a nurse to a kinesiologist to a chiropractor and everything in between. Um, and we're doing this because we feel that med students and doctors don't really fully understand the role of other healthcare professions or pay them the respect that they deserve. So that being said, let's educate and empower ourselves. Thanks, Debbie. Lovely intro there. Great to be, <laughs> great to be back in studio and recording another episode. A warm welcome to all our listeners. Thank you for giving this episode a listen. We appreciate your support. And we implore you to please leave us some feedback. Tell us what you like and more importantly, what you don't like or share an idea about a topic and maybe you can be our next guest star. <laughs> Moving on to today's topic, we, be, we will be diving into the realm of occupational therapy, aka OT, for those of you who don't know what OT stands for. We <laughs> are fortunate enough to welcome Bronwyn Carter to today's show. Bronwyn, welcome. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for having me, guys. It's only a pleasure. Yeah, absolute pleasure. I'm very excited about this episode. I actually wanted to become an occupational therapist, but um, my life took a different turn, so I'm very <laughs> curious to hear. Um, so just to start things off, um, where and when did you study occupational therapy? So I did my undergraduate at Tux. Oh, oh nice. yeah, fellow yes. students. Yeah, and I Ducks was in yes, I was in res. Um, good time. Oh, in Calitia then. Yeah, yeah, I was in Calitia. Uh, graduated in 2016, and then did my conserve in 2017 at uh, Tambo Memorial Hospital in Boxburg. Okay. And then moved into private practice, and then last year I started doing my masters uh, by coursework at Wits. Um, so part-time and hopefully I'm going to have finished that by the end of this year. <laughs> Got exams in three weeks. Good luck. So. <laughs> oh, studying must be hard yeah. underway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Online lectures, I uh, feel for you guys. It's I've only had a few this year and oh. it's no joke. <laughs> Literally, I think There's I'll... no motivation. No. Yeah. Joe and I were talking about it before we uh, came in and we're just like, yeah, we're really falling behind. <laughs> I waste so much time in the morning because I, like, I get Back. ready for so long and then it's like I'm ready by 10 but I've been awake since 7. Yeah, <laughs> bit of a waste. <laughs> okay. Um, so how was your experience at university um, as an OT and did you find the degree to be challenging at all? So I definitely think um, time management-wise that the undergraduate degree is challenging. Uh, they squeeze a lot into I four years. I 100% agree with you on that. Um, I think they could definitely stretch it into five years and you would be fine um, yeah. with that. So it's good being a student as well. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You definitely have done with student life for an extra year. <laughs> My parents might not have been so happy. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, it was it was good. I really enjoyed it. Um, some of the stuff is challenging. So, I mean, you've got to balance the, the sort of medical knowledge that you're getting in, in first and second year. Mm. All those subjects with the OT... The OT specific subjects, yeah. which is I think what packs a lot in, yeah. um, and that integration only really comes later in like your third and fourth year. You really start to see how it yeah. all fits yeah. together. how it strings together. And I think um, I I feel exactly the same with regards to medicine. I mean, our first two years were just what are the basic sciences, and then you kind of start doing the more clinical stuff, but nothing makes sense. And now, literally, only in my fifth year, I'm starting to like 
put everything together and to consolidate all that information it's a process mm. it really takes a lot of effort yeah. especially when you've crammed it to start with oh, <laughs> it's 100%. Like, it's short-term knowledge it just flies out <laughs> yeah. i think that was one of the nicest things going back um and doing masters now especially um in first year when we did the neuroanatomy and neurophysiology again in more depth I found it so much easier mm. to learn yeah. because I had practical cases that I could apply it to. So mm. when we were talking through things, I could see how it all fitted yeah. or how it all fits together. Mm. And that made, yeah, that made the learning so much easier and a lot more enjoyable. Yeah, it doesn't well. just kind of fly straight over your head. <laughs> no, no. And yeah. you're impressed when you're explaining something to a parent, you're giving them feedback after an assessment, and yeah. you can be like, yeah, this in the brain, <laughs> and you sound so smart and everything. I know what's going on. <laughs> yeah. All right, so what made you decide to study occupational therapy? So the cl- the cliched answer of I wanted to help people definitely mm-hmm. <laughs> Heard that one before. comes to comes to mind, mm-hmm. um, and I think it's an interesting thing when you're sort of in high school and you think the only way you know you know working behind a desk is boring. Mm-hmm. That's that's what I thought. Hundred percent agree um, with you there. We had the same <laughs> same thought process, <laughs> and I didn't want to be bored working behind a desk. Plus, you can't interact with people from yeah. behind a desk, um, except your colleagues, and they could be sucky. Yeah, so. exactly. <laughs> Don't want to take that chance. Um, and yeah, so I, I knew I wanted to help people, and then deciding sort of between medicine was definitely in the mix. Um, But ultimately, and this, I don't know where my 16, 17, 18-year-old brain came up with this, was that I knew I wanted to be a mom one day. And I didn't think that being a doctor was was going to be super, um, super, will work super well with being being a mom as well, being a present mom. So I decided that OT would would fit well with that, plus I liked kids. Um, So that was sort of of the... No, and I, I definitely agree with you. I think it's something that you have to really weigh your choices up on and when you are young and sometimes maybe not as informed I think it's what a lot of what we're told as women but it's also to be honest with you I think once you kind of go into child psychology a bit more and you realize the immense impact it has on a child if you are an absent parent or if you just like mess up on the smallest thing like if you teach your kids how to brush their teeth wrong like the impacts that could have on them so I completely understand your thinking and I think a lot of my friends as well we've had these conversations about like being a mother and you know being a specialist even and yeah. is it something that you want to con is it something that you want to go into and that is one of my probably my biggest um decisions that I have to make one day and I completely understand that so it's a very irrelevant topic but thank goodness also being a GP like I think it's quite a nice life can manage it <laughs> we'll have to wait and see <laughs> I mean from the GPs I worked with what I've seen they're having a good time yeah. I think so much of it comes down to perception and, yeah. and what you perceive going into things as being possible or not possible yeah um, and only once you're actually in it and doing it do you realize Oh yeah, I could have managed this or no, maybe not. Like, yeah, it wasn't the right thing. So, but I think as well, um, especially being in, um, and it's actually so. You are Ryan Carter from Docs and Slops. You are his wife, and yeah. um, he something he said to us that really stuck with me is that we don't like to call you guys the allied health professionals. We like yeah. to call you the rehabilitation team. But it's 
I think it's such a rewarding process because you guys actually get to see the patients heal. Whereas sometimes as doctors, we're just yeah. like, okay, here's the script, have fun, send you off. And I think that's also really an, a, a rewarding process. I definitely think um, having seen what Ra has gone through um, and gotten some like secondhand, firsthand experience, mm-hmm. um, that I made the right choice doing OT from the perspective of um, the patient interaction yeah. and how, how we get to interact with patients and see them through that process. Yeah. I think I would have been very frustrated if I had done medicine. Yeah. Um, I, I think I think the work, the actual academic side of it, I, I would have coped with. Yeah. But that emotional side of it, I think I would have gotten yeah, listen, really exhausted. And I think that's another th- a misconception that people have is that like medicine is the most difficult thing, and it really isn't. Like academically, it's just a lot of work. That's all it is. It's volume. Yeah. It's just volume. That's it. But it's not like high grade. I mean, I'd never be able to be an engineer. Like bless them and their maths, but not for me. But that's the thing, and it's just I completely agree with you. It's just emotionally it can be exceptionally frustrating because yeah. we don't always get to we it's like a hopeless situation a lot of the time and i'd like to think that in your guys's um field it's not always like that yeah yeah and sometimes it can also be frustrating but i think majority of the time you are getting that deeper connection yeah. which i think is what a lot of people get into medicine for yeah and you don't get yeah, it seeking it yeah you don't and you don't have the time and that Obviously goes back. Now I sound like Ryan. (laughs) (laughs) You can hear we've had these conversations, (laughs) but it is it is something fortunate in the the rehab team that you do get to do. Yeah. Mm, But at the same time, you also are part of our taxed healthcare system. So really, despite the the allied healthcare team still works in a subpar environment, and that's something that hopefully we we can change through these conversations yeah, we're starting the process getting the ball rolling but exactly yeah, listen to the Docs and Stops podcast guys <laughs> it's a great one it is a good one I agree <laughs> yeah. no bias here <laughs> not at all definitely a wise decision by 16, 17 year old Bronwyn to yeah. study occupational therapy Ra- Ryan thinks so too <laughs> wise beyond your years mm. well um, Bronwyn tell us uh, or put simply what does occupational therapy entail? What does the occupational therapist do? So the common misconception for anyone who doesn't know what OT is, if they say, I'm an occupational therapist, is do, do I help people find jobs? Um, because <laughs> occupation must have to do with a job. It's quite a nice literal meaning. Yeah. Yeah, yeah if you're going to occupational health and safety, that's yeah. only what those things have to do with. Mm-hmm. Or um, I help kids with their handwriting. That's another one I've heard. A lot, <laughs> a lot of times, and wow. as much as both those things can, are true, mm-hmm. they are like two tiny components yeah. of the bigger picture of what we do. So, when you think occupation, it's everything that you do every day. So, anything you want to, need to, or expected to do, and an OT can help you with any of those things. So, as soon as someone's experiencing difficulty doing something that's meaningful to them or something that they have to do mm-hmm. from your tiniest toddler to your geriatric patient group, that's where we can come in and say, okay, why is this person having difficulty doing what they need to and where can we intervene? Um, and that's on the broad mm-hmm. picture is, is what what OT is and, and what we actually do, uh, which I think gets, gets lost some of the no, time. I can imagine. Definitely. Yeah. But I think what a beautiful field um, because I can imagine – People feeling really hopeless, you know, if you have like a set of skills and you lose them or you aren't 
fully developing and just to have mm. someone to like guide you I think it just like that hope that it must give people must be remarkable yeah and you don't I think it's something we don't actively always think about so I'm sometimes surprised um, when you ask patients you know what what do you th- what are you struggling to do like what what do you want to be easier for you what what things are meaningful in your life that yeah. you do? And I actually struggle to answer that sometimes. And I don't think we're always so good at identifying why we do the things we do yeah. and what's actually meaningful to us. Um, yeah. And, and and really being active thinkers about how we engage with things. Because everything yeah. you do is is occupation. Um, mm-hmm. That's They speak about us as being, humans being occupational beings. That's mm. how we make meaning out of our lives. Without That's occupation, <laughs> we'd be sitting, the, the thinking there and just sitting, <laughs> even thinking basically is an occupation. occupation like yes. you can't, you can't have life without it. Um, yeah. So it really, and I think it, in recent years, there's been a move, especially with the medical aids towards focusing on function and thing, having functional outcomes. Um, so with the, the ICF um, that that all goes back to function and everyone's now got to talk back to function mm. in the team and the OTs are sitting going, guys, <laughs> we've been doing this for years. <laughs> Welcome. Yeah. <laughs> this is what we're all about. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, that's the, the big picture. The gist of it, okay. Mm. Um, tell me, Ron, what are the pillars that occupational therapy is, that occupational therapy is built on? So I think I've sort of mentioned there that idea mm. that humans are, are occupational beings Um and and so occupational science is what underpins the practice of occupational therapy. Mm-hmm. And occupational science basically looks at the reasons why people do the things they do. And it speaks a lot about how um, you've got a transactional nature of occupation. So mm-hmm. a person, the environment, and the occupation is the, the linking factor between those two things. And through that, they can change each other. So a person can, through the occupation, change the environment. And the, 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 there's a, a backflow of that as well. Mm-hmm. When they interact with the environment, the occupation is shaped by what the environment looks like. And that all impacts on on you as a person, um, and and looking at not just so the quality of your performance, but the the meaningful engagements of your performance in different occupations, yeah. and that that really is the the core pillar mm. underpinning everything that we do and all the research that we do. Um, That's and o- beautifully explained. Thank you. <laughs> See, this is the joy of doing a master's. <laughs> <laughs> this stuff in first year sounds so vague. It does. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> it sounds so, so vague. When you sit in first year OT. Um, <laughs> I'm like, okay, so what am I doing though? Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah, and everyone's doing, especially when you're on the medical campus, everyone comes back from lectures and they've done this super like complicated, sounds complicated stuff. And mm-hmm. you come back and you've made a card or you, you've baked or done something like that. And everyone's like, oh, you guys do nothing. This, this, is so, and this must be fun to Yeah, study. this must be so much fun. Um, You know, oh, this is easy, whatever. But actually when you get, you, again, that's that thing of you only really integrate that knowledge once you see it in practice mm. and you realize, yeah. oh my word, like that was so valuable, what we were doing there. But you, until you've gone through it, you don't see like yeah. how it all fits together. Mm, hindsight is twenty twenty vision. Yeah, 100%. That's exactly it. Um, so, Bronwyn, where in a patient's journey 
should they see an OT? And what type of patients do occupational therapists commonly treat? Everybody. Oh, <laughs> said everything from pediatrics to geriatrics. So, I mean, yeah. what's between it? Pretty much everything. So, um, really, as soon as, as soon as someone is experiencing any form of occupational dysfunction, um, so... C- Commonly with kids, um, you'll see, for example, kitties who are missing their milestones, mm-hmm. um, kitties who are having difficulty eating or feeding. We work closely with a speech therapist there, so there can be a lot, obviously a lot of reasons, but um, any activity of daily living there we'd speak about. So toddlers who are having difficulty with like following a routine in the morning or getting dressed, mom's pulling her hair out because she cannot get this kid <laughs> to do anything, um, or they're having difficulty at school, so school School is the one people generally end up knowing yeah. Yeah. mostly what we do, so the handwriting difficulties and stuff. But kiddies are even having social difficulties on the playground. They're struggling to play. Um, they just don't have age-appropriate play or they can't make friends because they don't know how to play. Sure. Or uh, your kids at school who have like proper learning disabilities. Uh, obviously, we range from it doesn't have it doesn't have to be someone with a diagnosis. So yes. mm-hmm. I think that's also important is that it doesn't just have to be oh now you've got cerebral palsy or now yeah, you've got X you, and I'm going to treat with Y. Yes, mm. yeah. It's it's more about looking at the the functional well being of that person and their family, and how you can make that better. Um, so then into adults, I mean very broad spectrum of things that we can yeah, it's do. Yeah, insane. This range you're speaking about. I know. Just I was like the literally. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Literally, so, you guys do, I mean, everything. I, it's so overwhelming. I can't believe your degree is only four years. And I think that's also something you don't always realize. Uh, uh, many OT students do not realize going in just how broad your scope of practice can be. And I think a lot of people end up changing. They'll come in saying they did it because they love kids mm-hmm. and they'll end up in something totally different because they realize, oh my word, there's so much more I can do. Yeah. Um, so like with the work, the work-related stuff, there's an entire field for vocational rehabilitation. So someone who's, for example, had a stroke and now they've got to go back to work. What do we do? Can they go back to work? Yeah. How can we help them go back to work? What adaptations can we make to their workplace environments? So we learn learn a lot about the Labor Relations Act and Employment Equity Act and how you can advocate for people with disabilities in the sure. workplace. Um, we've got a few OTs that consult on road accident fund cases. Um, so working in the medical legal field, assessing you know the functional fallout and what that's going to mean for that person mm. long term. Um, even with helping someone, say for example, they've um, you've got a teenager with a disability who's looking to go to university. How can they transition to university? What reasonable accommodations would need to I be feel put like in place? Looking back on my life, why have I not seen an occupational therapist? You know, <laughs> yeah, I felt like I've I needed really one. I've needed like five. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, that's actually really insane. And as you said, it isn't a massive broad scope. But I love how it's so patient integrated. But I think that also makes it your theory must be so difficult um, because I can imagine to have all of this knowledge that you have to now sift through and apply just to an individual can be quite overwhelming. So, geez, props to you guys. eh? (laughs) We just have like flow diagrams. They're like, they have this. Okay, treat with that. (laughs) Um, Give that out to your bells. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So, all students and professionals um, working in the healthcare system remember certain points um, and patience for whatever reason. And sometimes it's just the sheer absurdity of the case that you're dealing with. 
Um, or it's that rewarding feeling of witnessing a patient's return to health. And sometimes it's even just something profound that a patient shares with you. Would you mind sharing such an encounter with us? So um, there's one story that comes to mind like immediately when you say that, which was um, a patient that I saw during my, my comserve. Um, and I got the referral on my desk for um, a 67-year-old female who is now a baloney amputation. At, well, she's had a baloney amputation. She's got diabetes and she's blind. Oh, wow. And my brain, immediately when I see this referral, I'm like, oh, what am I going to do? so hard. When you start. <laughs> yeah, and uh, you guys will see once you get to the hospitals, but uh, well, once you get to internship comserve, when you're really mm-hmm. seeing patients like that, the diabetic foot patients who've had amputations, they're often these Gorgos who have no motivation. Yeah. They just want you to leave them alone. And yeah. here comes this perky little <laughs> OT like, hello, Gorgos, we're going to get out of bed. Like, no. <laughs> no, <laughs> not having it. Like, it's really difficult to motivate them. And now I'm thinking she's blind on top of it. Like, oh, I'm going to have such a pill with this. Yeah. And I get to the room and she's up. She's sitting over the edge of the bed and she's looking for something in her bedside table. There's knitting on the bedside table. Oh, my word. And immediately I was like, oh, this is not <laughs> going to be what I thought it was going to be. And she's probably one of the most incredible patients I've seen in terms of what occupation can do to motivate someone sure. um, and to get them back on their feet. And she – so. She um, had gone blind when she was about 17, 18. Oh, my word. Um, gradually uh, uh, degenerative um, retinopathy. Mm-hmm. And she was a bowler. So, you know, lawn bowls? Oh. Um, blind bowls. And she'd bowled for South Africa. Um, and the whole insane. reason shame she'd had the amputation was just because she couldn't do her own foot inspections. And she'd cut... Toenail, and then been a little bit of a cut, and you know with diabetes, oh, yeah. and and also going to the clinic, she'd mentioned that like they'd check her sugar every week or whenever she went, and th- they she could never see what her sugar was, so she didn't actually realize she was diabetic. Um, and then wow, talk so, about a lack of communication. Yeah, so poor their system system error, but mm. um, and then not being able to see her foot, didn't realize that she had an infection, and then having the baloney amputation. Oh, but sure. she was so motivated. The physio and I um, got her up into a walking frame within like two three days. Um, she was up on the on the Jeez. walking frame. She actually also had a guide dog. Um, so oh, sweet. Um, very very cute, and she was super motivated to get home to to her guide dog. Um, and we did bowling in the physio department. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, she was so motivated, so they, they flipped the, the walker around, mm-hmm. and the physio stood with her, and I set the, the bowling pins up um, on the mm-hmm. far side, and she did everything off hearing. So sure. she could tell me, uh, I would, I'd say to her, okay, it's here. She'd go down, she'd bowl, and she could tell me before I said anything, she'd say, oh, was that about a meter right? Or was that about there? Oh, I hit wow. over three pins of 10 or whatever. Dead accurate every time. I've n- if she could have seen my face, my jaw was sitting <laughs> down here. Um, but she did so well through the rehab. What process. an amazing story! And I think it's literally yeah. for moments like that. That's like you like this is why I'm doing what I'm doing. Yeah, makes it that much sweeter, I suppose. Yeah, she made my job easy because she had <laughs> such, all the motivation, such good motivation. You didn't Model have to bring it for her. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Awesome. That is so cool. Yeah. So lawn bowls is really fun though. Yeah, yeah. it is fun. Especially if there's a gin and tonic involved and you know, they're having a good time. Did you ever play at the club there close to Kalitia actually? Just it's across the Malky Cedic. I know where it is, but we never actually, we never actually only the, it's only Olympus that does that. <laughs> <laughs> Since leaving Varsity, I've done it a lot more. It is such good fun, honestly. No better way to spend our afternoon. I feel like I'm really, I'm really missing out, guys. Yeah. I need to go play some lawn You ball. get dressed up, you get a beer. Yeah. Wear, wear your all whites and then... There we go. go. Good to go. Make a celebration out of it. <laughs> some good memories for coming back here. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, so... Much has been said about the relationship between doctors and the different, different allied healthcare professionals. It's often a contentious topic. Most doctors see themselves at the top of the hierarchy or top of the professional hierarchy and tend to look down on the other professions, unfortunately. Mm. Have you ever felt as if a doctor has treated you condescendingly or treated you without the necessary level of respect throughout your studies or your working life so far? So, so this is an interesting one from... Um I've never, in a profession, on a professional level, I've never actually felt that a doctor has not respected me. Mm. Um, sometimes communication can be really difficult, and mm. like your your opinion might not be as considered in some decisions. Um, but on a when I first went to varsity and um, actually starting off in res, I can remember a very distinct um, experience of one of the med students. Um, and again, this goes back to perception, mm-hmm. asking me um, if I did OT because I couldn't get into medicine. <laughs> Was I not smart enough to get into medicine? If only they um, knew how difficult it is to get into <laughs> OT. <laughs> yeah, like it's it just, and you know, there's so many emotions that go through it there. Like actually it was my, it was my choice. It's yeah. not, not, you know. not, not everyone actually wants to be a doctor, just by the way. Yeah. Yeah. So I think that perception sometimes can, like, we've got almost got a perception from before about where doctors, as a lay person, you have a, a mm. perception about where doctors fit in the hierarchy. Mm. And that can get carried through. Yeah. If, if you don't see the value of the other team members and you're not taught the value of how everything works together so and, and I find some some doctors are incredible and will integrate it really well and they can see that bigger picture and some people get stuck on my my little bubble yeah. <laughs> this is what I'm doing mm-hmm. and not worrying about you know the step further than that which is so unfortunate um, for the patient at the end of the day yeah. because they lose out on that integration which is exactly what they need because yeah. it's supposed to be an integrated healthcare approach for them to get the best results yeah. So that is quite unfortunate. And, you know, the reason we ask the question is because I've seen it amongst our peers and I've seen it amongst our doctors. Um, and I've also seen how horribly doctors treat students. And it's just like there is this hierarchy, yeah. I don't know, arrogance um, that we really need to start chatting about and we really need to start breaking down. Because, I mean, mm. the emotional abuse that I've suffered under horrible doctors as a student is ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and to have, like, you know, I, under, I understand the job comes with a lot of pressure, but there's no need to ever be rude or mean mm. to anybody. It's or to make someone feel small. No. Um, when they're there performing an important role, and especially as a student, you don't have a choice about being there. You're there to learn. Like, mm. And I'm paying a lot of money. Yeah. Like, really. <laughs> and and being there to learn means you don't know everything yet. You're not going to be useless, and that's fine. Yeah. 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 You're, there to, you're there to ask questions. You're there to 
to get experience. Observe and learn. Mm, yeah. Yeah. So that's um, that's a whole other can of worms that we need to <laughs> work through. Well, yeah. As as a med student, when you're trying to like decide, when you have a case to do and you're trying to decipher it, you often like end up going through the patient's file, and then whatever. First of all, you're trying to figure out what's going on. Secondly, you're trying to read all this different handwriting. Oh, the handwriting. That's another thing. We should send all the flippin' doctors to OTs to get the handwriting checked because really... Doctors need handwriting. My word. Sometimes I think they they write poorly so that no one can read what they've written. If they're unsure of what they're doing, (laughs) then they write it badly. Someone else can guess what should be done. I think that's an art. No. (laughs) Anyway, and then thirdly, you just sometimes see like a refer to OT or refer to physio, right? Yeah. And there seems to be a disconnect between this just like, here's a doctor writing his notes and just refer to OT. Um, and you spoke about that now and said like some doctors are better at integrating and some are not so good yeah. and some have their bubble. But how do you think OTs can be better integrated into the recovery journey of the patient? What can a doctor do? So I think it's it's really about getting to know your patients um, and actually asking them what's meaningful to them. Mm. Like, okay, cool, you've had a stroke. But do I know anything about your life outside of this hospital? Yeah. Have I asked you what you do for a living? How many people you support at home? What kind of house do you live in? Like, yeah. are you living in the middle of Alex and, you know, you don't have access to s- certain basic services? Like, what what is your life going to look like after this? What are you going back to? And it, I think very quickly then, if you've had that conversation and you're looking at a patient who can't walk, and now they tell you that they walk like a good 30 kilometers a day because that's they've got to walk to and from wherever, mm. you're going to go, ooh, flip. Yeah. <laughs> we, need to, we need someone else to help you. I can't do this. We need that yeah. extra. So I think the, the biggest thing is having that time to just have that conversation with the patient about you know, what's meaningful, what's important to them. And I wish I wish that was more like hopped on in med school because obviously when we take our histories they're like always important take a social history but when you're presenting the doctors like skip over that and I've I've found social history is not important I've found that so many times but you really need that to place your patient in context and I remember once I had one patient and it was honestly like just he had squamous carcinoma and it was really just it had gone really bad and he was a really old man and um, I don't understand. I didn't understand how it had got to that point. Yeah. And I actually had to turn around to the doctor and say, can we get a social worker in here, please? Because this is, like, there's some form of abuse happening, that it got you know, to that, that, it, that it is at this point. Yeah. And it's sometimes, I, I understand there's so much on our plates as doctors, I really get that. But you need to, if you want to get a good result, you need to have that holistic view of your patient yeah. and be able to place them and I think that's where, you know, we medicine's curative, um, and it that orientation to more of a prevention and promotion approach to mm-hmm. healthcare is really important. And that's that's where, like, I'm speaking about a lady with diabetic foot who's having an amputation. If you'd known more about that lady's social circumstances when she got diabetes and you're looking and saying, okay, this person doesn't have anything to motivate them. This girl goes sitting at home. She doesn't, she doesn't do anything. Like, of mm. course, things are going to get worse from there. She's not active. She has nothing to motivate her. Yeah. So I, I think often that's also OT gets called in as a curative thing. 
but actually we could do a lot on a prevention and promotion yeah. level. Yeah. Um, if you even think substance abuse, and then I didn't even touch on the psychiatric field earlier, but if you if you think with substance abuse, and especially um, like when I did my comm serve, the area nearby, massive issues with, with substance abuse and with from like lighties from 12 years old and stuff who are yeah. who are getting hooked on drugs and because they have nothing else to do yeah they have no meaningful occupations so what are you going to do when you're bored that's exactly, exactly that yeah yeah and then and then that cycle perpetuates itself so i think even considering it from a prevention and promotion yeah. perspective and understanding your patient from the moment you see them where they come from and put, like you put it beautifully putting them in context mm. then you're going to be able to make the next the next step is going to be obvious to you because yeah. you're going to go oh that's okay the problem is that's why i'm seeing this health condition actually yeah. because there's all of this going on at home 100 yeah. percent. um so speaking just now about an occupational therapist what do you think are essential qualities an occupational therapist should have I definitely think you have to be patient. That's just about a feeling. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you definitely, yeah, patience is key. Um, and generally, OTs end up being these very bubbly, sort of positive people. But I don't actually even think that's, you do have to be positive. But I think the more important thing is to be interested in people mm. um, and to, to really not just want to make things better for people, but to want to know about people's lives and the way they do things and to be, you need to be someone who's open-minded to the fact that there are very different ways of doing things. Yeah. um, And to respect that. If you can do that, if you've got those two, that patience, the open-mindedness and the respect, you'd you'd go a long way. And definitely also creativity. I think you've got to be, not necessarily creativity in the sense of like, good at art or something like that but to think laterally um to think differently about problems i think that's also also really really important Mm, to come to certain solutions like you said there's a lot of ways to do these things and creativity obviously yeah and also because it's such a broad field like i really had no idea it was this broad it's actually almost intimidating how it's really there's so many things that you guys could do and to try and like pull solutions together i think sometimes can be Like you said, it's not like a flow diagram of no. decision making. It's really patient specific, yeah. and patient and family specific, and that's yeah. You got to you got really got to think sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> it's strange that we aren't taught more about what OTs actually do in med school specifically because just having this chat is very empowering in the sense of us and informative. informative. I mean, it's something that I think will always stick with me. And every patient we need in actually. every patient I see now, I'm going to be like, okay, is there room for an occupational therapist? Yeah. Cause no, I actually know what an function. occupational therapist mm. does. Yeah. And know? I think they've tried it at, I know I've seen it a little bit at Vits now. And I think they just after I'd left tax, they'd started trying to do those integrated lectures mm. are you supposed to get no a one goes from an OT. <laughs> but that's exactly yeah. the thing no one goes the, or the no one listens because it doesn't come yeah we're like okay we don't have to exactly. study this for the block and whatever i think that's a shortfall in the whole health sciences to be honest of we're so focused it's generally the kind of person who's an overachiever um and we're very focused on doing our best marks wise as soon as there's marks involved oh, oh yeah. then the anxiety goes and it's just about the marks game and over i think that was again something in fourth year that when we did a lot our whole fourth year is pretty much practical um 
had to let that go to focus on the person in front of you. Yeah. It's not actually just a mark. You you're getting the opportunity to touch someone's life. Yeah. So so and you you're gonna go out and that's gonna be your job is mm. to go into people's lives and make changes. And that's much bigger than just the mark that you're getting. And I think that's something that we generally tend to get very sucked in and forget as medical students. And I find a lot of the time, like, I want to sit and I want to do this piece of work really, really well, but time doesn't afford for it. Mm. And I have to cram it if I want to get the marks. And that is like that whole structure. Or that surface view of it instead of understanding it. Yeah, Yeah, and that is such a problem in itself. And that's why when I actually get the time to sit and actually like, Really, because it's such interesting stuff. We do the most interesting work. I mean, it's phenomenal. And then when you can take that and you can put it into practice, it's such a rewarding feeling. But when everything is like rushed, it's just, you know, it's too intense. Um, And that's, I think, where we fall short. I think, you know, I still hope that we'll be prepared. I mean, we'll see one day when Mm -hmm. we are in the field if we are. Um, I I have a sense that we will be, but it does take away that passion for what you're doing yeah and it definitely to see the long game and yeah. to keep that in mind mm. can be i agree with you that time wise it's not always accounted for um and it's that meaningful application needs to come from a higher level of saying like giving you time to meaningfully apply it mm. um, and even just applying it to yourself like you said it's super interesting yeah because it's about like you <laughs> it's about being human so um, it's relevant, and if you have the time to engage with it, yeah, that's do it. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So that brings us to the end of our chat uh, today, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming in. Um, I love these types of episodes. I feel like after every discussion we have, I always learn something new, and I really hope our guests and our listeners have taken from this, and especially our student-to-be doctors. I really hope that you can sit and think. Is this a patient, is there a place for occupational therapist in this patient's life? And I'm pretty sure most of the time they will be. Um, (laughs) Probably going to be yes, (laughs) if you were listening closely today. Um, So yes, thank you so much, um, Bronwyn, for coming all the way. We really, really appreciate it. I must say, uh, you and Ryan are phenomenal in the... (laughs) your thought processes and what you guys have come up with you guys are really something to be reckoned with in the healthcare field so Mm -hmm. really wish you the best um and yeah to our listeners let us know what you think we really hope you appreciate the series um it's definitely something i think we all need and yeah just give us um some feedback on instagram facebook whatever drop us a dm tell us what you think and thank you so much for listening This is Med Talk signing out. Bye.